The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. At the battle's end, she's great. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7 o'clock on this Monday night. Finals week finally in the rearview mirror. Glad to have you with us here on Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour, the voice of Florida State. You're listening to us 89.7 on your FM dial, listening to us online anywhere in the world at wvfs.fsu.edu. Tomahawk Talk always available the next day as a podcast as well. Got a great slate in store tonight. Florida State Athletics talking about their football team as they continue their preparation for the uh, the Cheez-It Bowl on December 29th against Oklahoma. Some some great news as far as players returning. Some some NIL collectives coming out of the ground to, to help keep this team intact and all sorts of transfers coming in to help this team out uh, as well as that uh, men's and women's basketball and we'll have some World Cup talk at the end of the show and we'd love to hear from you pick up the phone and call us up 850-644-1837 maybe you want to uh, call your shot for Jordan Travis winning the Heisman next year maybe you think Florida State men's basketball is going to go on a run whatever you think call us up and let us know but to open up the show the the group that we have to get it done tonight I am William Haynes we'll start with the star of the show tonight which is Amanda Golson. Amanda, first of all, congratulations because yesterday you made your sideline reporting debut on the telecast for FSU Women's Basketball uh, with ACC Network Extra. So, so first of all, congratulations Woo! to you. Thank you. It's it's been a minute since I've been on here. Um, I've been a little busy, but I'm happy to be on here. Yes, last night was my um, sideline debut. It was a lot of emotions, um, mainly nerves, but it was. It was so exciting, and what a game to, you know, start off with. Our women's team is on fire right now, so any opportunity to talk or cover with them, I'll take it. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. To, I'm very excited for this next uh, chapter in my career, see where it takes me. But I'm st- I'll still be here. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely talk about that experience because I'm sure a lot of people would be curious to see what it's actually like behind the scenes doing that. I mean, you got to interview Coach Wyckoff at halftime. You interviewed Tanai Latson after the game, and she's led the Knolls in scoring in all 11 of their games. Uh, so, and, and a nice win for for Florida State, continuing their winning ways. Also, in the co-captain's chair to my left, finally on the other side of the glass. Usually, he's behind the glass producing, but today. Uh, in front of the glass with us. It's Jack Oliaro. Jack, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's nice to be able to breathe out of water here for a quick sec. Yeah. Like a fish out of water, it is. Uh, last time I was here, I believe it was just Amanda and Seb and I running a show back in June. So it's been a sec. I miss having you on the air. We did some, when we were doing the Zoom shows during the summer, we could kind of have a conversation with all of us. And obviously many people know you from the fame you've, you've garnered doing seminal segment at halftime of, of this very show, relaying the, how do you say, the latest and greatest in Seminoles athletics. athletics. It's yes. it's a beautiful thing. And, and so I'm glad that you're here on this side of the glass with us doing the show tonight. Some great insight on you from not just Florida State, but some World Cup soccer at the end and rounding out the panel tonight. Sebastian Angel Riano, one of our uh, longest-running veterans in the WVFS sports department. You're now a DJ with WVFS, so you've kind of undergone a metamorphosis. You're you've undertaken skateboarding for the first time. You're really you're really diving headfirst into this this new uh, career change of yours. But uh, I can't tell you how happy I am to have you on the show. Uh, you're a great friend to all of us, but also a great radio personality. And I can't wait to talk some sports with you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm very very happy to be back. Thanks for having me on, William. I'm I'm thrilled to be back talking sports. Um, I've been kind of in the background uh, for the sports department for a very long time now, um, and yeah, I've been doing the DJ thing. You y'all um, might, V89 listeners might recognize me from the one to four p.m. shift um, on Wednesdays, but um, me as well. Yeah, I'm also that's on right. that shift. That's right. I have the pleasure of getting bringing not one but two now because I've got uh, Amanda and I've got Jacob um, that come in at 150 and 350 respectively, respectively um, for the sports updates. Really cool, and uh, give you a chance to talk some Florida State because I know it's been a lot of while. I mean, the football team is probably infinitely better than last time you had a chance to, to talk about them it's easily easily the best football team i've ever seen here at florida state as a student a chance to go for 10 wins here in a few weeks awfully exciting uh finals week did everyone survive did we do okay did we make it out on the Surviving other end is a great word for it i i, I survived yeah that, 
That just happens. C's, de- C's get degrees, and you know what? No C's. I get it. I did one better. B's and A's. Hell yeah. Hey, man. There we go. Ooh. Academic weapon. <laughs> yeah, the, the C's no longer get degrees in grad school, and I've banked on C's too long, and now I'm paying for it in blood. So. Oh. That's what I mean by barely surviving. <laughs> like, B's are like, you, congratulations, you lived, allegedly. It stinks. The yeah for myself and Jack and Amanda the the grueling schedule that is uh, media communication studies uh, putting us <laughs> putting us all through the ringer here the last few months yeah I almost missed out on a final exam but my professor was <laughs> luck uh, good enough person I, I guess you could say to let me come in and take it so I was able to to pass that class and continue on so uh, we all survived if you wanna you the listener call us and tell us how how your finals week went we'd love to hear from you kind of this in between semester talk where there's not as much sports but we'd love some some listener calls at 850-644-1837 but with that being said want to kick off with some some Florida State football talk because the last week has been big in that regard no games uh, just practice in, in preparation for bowl season but right after we went off the air last week Jordan Travis the quarterback QB 13 uh, QB1, where's 13 across his chest? He announces that he's going to stay. He's going to give it one final ride here at Florida State. Yeah, I think that's – it means a lot to, to the program. I don't know that there was uh, a great danger that he was going to leave the program, but uh, he decides to stay. I mean, Micah Pittman, one of the wide receivers, said in, at practice during a media session this week that he had known – Travis was staying uh, much more than anyone else did, so I don't know that it was a decision much in jeopardy, but uh, he made the decision to stay, and involved in that was a new NIL collective, name, image, likeness collective that was announced just this past week called The Battle's End. You heard it at at my open to the show tonight. Uh, The president of the collective, Ingram Smith, you may know him. He's the the co-host of the Nullcast, which is one of the the longest-running and most prominent podcast covering FSU football, certainly not where we are uh, at at uh, Tomahawk Talk, but just a little bit underneath, close to us. And so he has a lot of important people that listen to his program, uh, boosters with a lot of money, local businesses that support Florida State uh, to, to kind of set that up. So they were able to get a good amount of funding. Ingram Smith himself said, uh, yeah, funding is not something we need right now. We're just trying to get that money you know, into the hands of the players and so forth. That's what the collectives are for. Uh, from their their statement that they put out, because this is only about a week old, this is incredibly new, with a focus on player retention of the current roster, there's an understanding of the impact a strong, well-organized collective can have for the rest of the program. And NIL certainly is something that people are still getting used to. Uh, this next football season, I guess, will be the third season that it's it's been a part of our world in an official capacity and depending on where you come down you either love this or you hate it if you're if you're a Tennessee fan base and you've spent more money than anybody you've seen the success on the field I think Florida State will come to appreciate name image likeness if they're able to have success but those Miamis and those Texas A&Ms in the world that are pumping a lot of money into it and not seeing that on the field may may come to hate it but for Florida State uh, this this battles end collective kept a lot of players on this team for next year that we did not think we're going to stay players that were honored on senior day uh, that were eligible for the NFL draft and would you know are likely to be drafted uh, pretty highly linebacker Tatum Bethune is one of them you have offensive tackle Robert Scott linebacker Kalen Deloach as well and the two starting cornerbacks from this past year Jerry and Jones and Renardo Green along with Jordan Travis uh, the battles end Twitter account posting them under the the finish the climb guys that are going to stay one more year and have partnered with the collective so guys i want to start with that and not just the impact that the collective has but just like i the point that i made before keeping players that we weren't necessarily expecting to have around for 2023 yeah and that's kind of the interesting part of uh the portal and just the future of college football is maybe people thought that you know if you were a fringe guy you would potentially go somewhere either look elsewhere or potentially try to take that next step maybe find a practice squad spot on uh, on an nfl roster but it's taken those sort of like fringe players, you say, so like you're maybe a Tatum Bethunes and you're like upper level players and kind of solidified them, you know, tied them down with this initiative. So, you know, like you said, guys like uh, Renardo Green, uh, Jerry and Jones, Pat Payton, not only is it like these upper class, like not upper class, but like these uh, high end guys that everyone knows the names of, but it's 
guys lower down the roster, you're going to get to know more like Patrick Payton, Rodney Hill, guys like that. So I think uh, for Florida State, it's, you know, it's a great to have now not just one but two collectives going forward trying to and this one is unofficially more geared towards football as it's only signed you know it's only been around for a week it's basically retain retain most of the roster but interesting to see where it will go as if it, uh does it help recruiting and whatnot or is going to be more rising spear uh just the interest in uh where that goes but great news for florida state and finally making their names for themselves in this new world Ultimately, I think the, the biggest one here is just about everybody. Um, I think there's a beneficial relationship to be had for, for everybody. Um, this feels like one of the bigger wins that I've seen personally from, from NIL across the country. Because on one end, um, you do get the benefit to the players, right? Um, they're finally reaping the benefits of, of name, image, and likeness the way um, uh, the push back uh, for the past 20-something years has really seen or has wanted to see, which is uh, the players are finally getting, or reaping the benefits of their on-field product, um, making the university and uh, the NCAA uh, more money than God. Um, they're finally seeing uh, financial returns on that. And um, on the other hand, um, if you're um, an NIL um, collective, uh, like the two we have here in Tallahassee, um, you're finally seeing the benefits on, on the field, where it's like you're retaining this talent, you're getting to see um, a program that was destitute three or four years ago um, into something that is finally like there, there's a solid foundation there and you're allowed to build up and have aspirations again like you were um, 10 years ago with uh, a national championship winning team um, it's just a big win all around um, the um, collectives here in Florida not just for Florida State but for um, all the state schools um, have to dance around uh, a bit of uh, legislation um, which um, these NIL collectives are trying to lobby and push for change in. Uh, so they can't work directly, for example. They can't use, um, like, assets from the university, um, like uh, the, the spear, for example, in, the, in their logo work um, or their branding. Um, but ultimately, a, a big win for everybody. It's rare that you say that. Like, a, a big win for, um, you know, people making money um, and also the players. And now they're, they're one and the same. That's great. And the fans, because you get a team on the field yeah. probably better than you would have had without Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, uh, boosters are supporters just like you, uh, just like um, anybody in the stands, really, right? Yeah. Just have way more money than us. Yeah, I mean, Seminole boosters are, like, the most one of the most supportive fan bases, I think, in college football. Florida State fans are just, when the team is winning, they're going to be here and they're going to support, even when they're not. But, you know, it helps when the team is winning. There's more money being put into the program, more assets to develop guys. There's more attention on the program for recruits and for transfers. So, yeah, kind of just what you were saying. I think it's just a, it's a big win overall. It helps when, when those guys are easy to root for as well, I think. Um, with uh, programs such as uh, Texas A&M, it, it's, a, it's a harder sell. Sure, they're, they're, taking, there's the, they're the guys taking up the, the top five slots for their respective positions in the country, but they're, the, they're not really character guys. Um, you know, guys that you want to root for in spite of them, you know, like, man, he can run for 200 yards, but he's, he's not a great guy off the field, or he's doing some crazy stuff in a parking garage somewhere on campus. Which wasn't that far away from Florida State just a couple years ago under a different uh, coach who will not be named. Well, I, I would say it's under <laughs> the same coach that would be named. Um, but um, <clears throat> ultimately, like, that, the positive feedback loop that happens on and off the field helps everybody, and I, I think we're finally getting to see uh, the, the benefits of that. There was some concerns about Florida State in the first couple seasons of the new NIL climate and that Florida State historically has been one of the most successful teams in the history of the sport, but it's not at the top in terms of money. We don't have the the million-dollar donors like the University of Florida in our own state, and you know Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Southern California, so on and so forth, and the concern was, well, with NIL, are those schools just going to start outbidding Florida State for players? We haven't seen that as much yet. I think Florida State has been holding uh, pretty firmly in the recruiting trail. Obviously, Travis Hunter you may have takes on, but that was Jackson State. That was not you know, one of the big-name schools. And you say, Sebastian, a win-win. What I think is interesting about this in the battle's end, I think, is an example of two things working hand-in-hand. If Florida State wasn't 9-3 and three and rejuvenated the program this year, I don't know that the money necessarily would have been there. But since you did have success this year, you do have people that want to support more financially. You're going to put a better team on the field next year, and it's going to continue to grow those two things 
working together, which I, I think is uh, it's good for Florida State. They took advantage of, of having that success early on in NIL and, and hopefully a, a momentum wave that they'll be able to ride. Certainly Jordan Travis is the most uh, notable player out of the list that I gave you. Returning with Battle's End specifically, there were some others that we talked about last week. Uh, the jury is still out on Jared Verse. I mean, he could take maybe until after the bowl game towards towards the new year to decide for him. Um, but the the other players, Bethune, Scott, Deloach, Jones, and Green, I, I would like what is the most impactful player out of those uh, that are going to stay on this team, do you think? Uh, it's, I, I'm looking more at those younger guys that could potentially become that guy, like Pat Payton, or Patrick Payton, who became obviously the ACC um Defensive rookie of the defensive year. Defensive rookie of the year. Uh, I think Kalen Deloach is another like it's another huge stay. He's someone that's taken huge steps uh, since Tatum's got in. Really, that whole linebacking crew as a whole is just elevated. Um, sticking with the secondary guys is going to be interesting because it was potentially one of the weaker spots that was exposed throughout the year. But like Renardo Green, someone who got better. Um, uh, Jerry and Jones had his moments, and we've uh, those are well documented. But he, you know what? He had a good game against Florida, and he told the rest of us that as well. So he did. <laughs> yes, he. But um, just uh, kind of, I'm mostly looking at that defense, as you know, that's something that's hugely um, important. And a lot of those fringe guys, um, and maybe that upper level like uh, Fabian Love and Jamie and Jamie Robinson, who are probably going to go to the NFL. But now with this collective, now you, you can think about it. Like Jared Verse is probably going to go. That would be a huge win for NIL if he does stay. But it's Jamie Robinson and Fabian Levin are those guys. It's like they could go, they could stay. That's where we're going to see how strong this collective is. You're right. The decision for Verse is a lot different than it was in years past, pre-NIL, in that uh, he's likely going to be a first-round pick. I think he's a top-three defensive end in the draft by any analyst that you ask. And so previously the decision for him is – you can go in the NFL draft. If you're a middle first-round pick, you know you get maybe 10 or $15 million guaranteed. Or you stay for college another year and you make $0 because you're not allowed to make any. But say Battles End says, hey, we'll pay you a $1 million. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there to stay next year. And so all of a sudden it's not $10 million or 0 It's $10 million or stay in college another year, continue to develop, continue to rise your stock while you're getting paid. And mm-hmm. like you said, you just add one more thing to make the decision closer. Uh, Sebastian and Amanda, player sticks out to you uh, for Battle Zen that was able to bring back that you really like? I mean, kind of like what Jack was saying, those older guys that are, you know, could potentially leave the program and go to the NFL, them sticking around, I think that just shows a message to the rest of the program and other guys around the country that, you know, they're sticking around, maybe could be for the wrong reasons for the money, but they're, they care about the program enough to stick around another year and take teams where they want to be. You know, like this team is going to be el- – we know with these guys returning and recruits coming in, this team is going to be elevated next year. And I just think that those older, older guys that are, you know, having their leadership stick around too for another year while younger players develop I think is huge. Yeah, they, they like – they clearly like being here. I mean, the money the money obviously is a, it's a, is a huge thing, but – um, there are other programs out there that could give you that much money, um, but they just they just chose to stay here. And uh, we we you've said it on tonight's show that Florida State is not the place that writes the, that can write the biggest checks, um, but the fact that um, as an institution as a program, um, they're enjoying their time here. They're uh, maybe they're having fun. Um, maybe they understand that this place might be the best place for them to you know rise their draft stock or raise their draft stock. <clears throat> Um, speaks volumes about how um, this this program's culture has been um, from the roots uh, built up to uh, something that could see uh, a lot of uh, players grow for a really long time. You know on um, NBC Sunday Night Football when they show um, uh, the guys in the trenches and the position players like state their schools. It's been a while since I I've seen you know like two or three guys on both teams have uh, you know they'll say their names and they go Florida State. Um, it's been taken over by the Iowa's, the Wisconsin's of the world. Um, you know, uh, guys putting out, or uh, guys who are, are put out by these Big Ten programs or the SEC programs. Uh, and I think uh, with the way things are going right now, you might see uh, a couple more of those guys say Florida State or go no. Especially with Atkins uh, staying around, uh, arguably one of the biggest <coughs> changes that was made prior to this season, but has turned out to be a mighty decision. It's fantastic. I think out of the group of the, of the battles ends 
partnerships that were announced, the, the finish, the climb category. I think Tatum Bethune may be the most important because the linebacker group was maybe the weakest position group on the team for the last not just year but couple years perhaps. And Tatum Bethune came here from UCF and immediately made an impact at the second level of the defense. Uh, the, the running game defensively in the front seven, it seemed like completely changed with him being back there. The defensive line has had good years, but then once you get past that level, it was uh, rough sailing. And so Bethune has helped clean that up. And I think Robert Scott at left tackle protecting Travis's blind side. Uh, he did a, a post-game interview, I think, after the Louisiana game, and he just gets it. He talked about how Dylan Gibbons changed the the culture of the offensive line room and how now because of him they watch film together and they practice more as a group now. That sort of thing, I think having Scott stay is going to help continue that, uh, that tradition to the next level, the next group of guys. Uh, so I think it's crucial to have him there for I think he start this upcoming season will be his fourth year as a starter along the offensive line, which has been a while since we can say that. Uh, the the players that Jack mentioned earlier, the the climb continues, guys, freshman, sophomore, first and second year players that that made partnerships. Patrick Payton, a, uh, ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year, Josh Farmer, Rodney Hill, Maurice Smith, Malcolm Ray, Kentron Portier, Lawrence Toafili. And uh, the quick point on that is I, I think it is interesting. Toafili and Portier may be the last two that I mentioned on the offense. Portier at the wide receiver position, Toafili at the running back spot. They're both kind of buried in their respective position groups. And so given the, put a little money in their pocket, incentivizing them to stay um, instead of other players where if I don't play immediately, I'm going to go somewhere else to play. This is, all right, Florida State is taking care of me. I'm in a good spot here if I stay another year or two and get more playing time. So I think it's important for those younger guys that aren't draft eligible yet, uh, but th what the Battles End Collective is about, which is roster retention. Uh, and I think it, it, so far so good. It's been very successful in doing that. Other players that weren't involved in that but announced uh, returning next season, Micah Pittman at wide receiver and Trey Benson. I said he was one of the best running backs in the country uh, this past year, and I think he'll be at the top of that list next season as well of running back that's impossible to bring down. Uh, players that exited the program and will be playing elsewhere, Keyshawn Helton, who didn't play at all last year but but was a, a guy that caught a lot of balls in years past, and offensive linemen uh, Lloyd Willis and Rod Orr, who were pretty much buried on the depth chart, are going to go play somewhere else. Uh, Geno English, I don't know, third or fourth string quarterback, got into the, the Louisiana game for the first time as a Seminole. He'll be playing elsewhere. Uh, as well, but so far the the net positive has been much more in the the transfer portals, the guys bringing in versus the guys that are going out. With that being said, announced today coming to Florida State from South Carolina, tight end Jaheim Bell committed to Florida State today. He's a junior, six foot three, two hundred and thirty pounds. He's got two years of eligibility left. I'll be surprised if he stays both of those years. Uh, I think he'll be he'll play well enough, most likely to go to the draft. In 2021, received for 500 yards and five touchdowns, 16.5 yards per catch. He was second team All-SEC, so got some pretty national recognition two years ago. This past season, caught for just 231 yards, but ran for 260, and uh, kind of a mid-season position change for Bell. They moved him basically to running back out of necessity. 54 carries in the team's last four games. That big win over Tennessee, uh, in South Carolina, ran 17 times for 82 yards, so he's a very versatile guy. Uh, Florida State offered him in high school. He was a teammate in Valdosta of Tate Rodemaker. They played together. Uh, Bell was the number one tight end and the number four player overall in the transfer portal, and uh, a, a huge guy that's going to replace most likely Cameron McDonald, who is on his way out, and uh, Florida State just got themselves one of the best transfer players in all of the land. Yeah. Um, I think this is a huge bet on, uh, you know, the coaching staff's pretty much got itself solidified. I think they earned their keep for the most part last year. But this is going to be that ascension point uh, going forward. So Tatum Bethune is obviously the flag is the flagship for uh, transfers can come in and elevate a position wholly. And granted, that was linebacker was the weakest position on FSU last year. So but I feel like this is a bigger test because the tight end position wasn't the worst on the side of the ball. It was probably the worst on the team. And it's been the it's it's been FSU's never been a tight end rich program, and this is the chance for the you know not only Atkins Norvell but you know Coach Chris Thompson to address one of the clearest weaknesses that this team's had in its entire history. You know, 
how do they utilize that better talent? If this doesn't work, and let's say, let's, let's just say it doesn't work, the tight end room doesn't elevate, he's dropping balls, it's not being used, it's like, all right, well, either there's a weakness at coaching or there's something fundamentally that's not being used within uh, the system. So this is kind of a, this is a bigger bet, I would say, uh, on the coaching staff that um, that they can get this right. But if they do, you now are playing, you can now throw to another guy. You've been throwing maybe to, you know, two or three wide receivers. And uh, now, not to discredit Cam McDonald and Marquise and Douglas, but it's, those guys have been serviceable. But um, Jemai, uh, Jaheim Bell is a guy who can take that to the next level and actually be, you know, a very beyond serviceable, a uh, fundamentally talented and far better asset. I've, since the announcement a, a few hours ago, um, a couple clips of tape have, of his has been posted to uh, Twitter, and I, ca I can't get over how good this guy's hands look. He's got this crazy, crazy reach, and it's very clear that he's got a ton of power in his legs. So just uh, just watching him on tape is, is really exciting. Um, I Obviously, um, being in the ACC sphere, uh, it's, you can't pay attention to every SEC team um, if they don't come your way. Uh, but but seeing the the tape is is very very exciting. Null fans out there should be very excited about it. One thing I want to add, um, he was courted in 2019 by by Florida State. Um, he he picked up the hat at the press at his uh, announcement uh, or commitment press conference announcement and flipped it over to an, uh, a, a University of South Carolina hat. Um, three years later, he's he's back here. Or he's, he's here now. He said in his uh, video that he put out on Twitter, he's Tallahassee, I'm coming home. And so maybe not just Valdosta being local, but that he was uh, heavily considering the school that now perhaps coming to the place that he should have come all along. Amanda? I mean, it's kind of you guys pretty much covered everything, but oh, how the tables have turned. Throwing the initial th throwing of the hat. Now he's back. Kind of like a Thor it, hammer, bringing that hat, bringing that hammer back. Yeah, he's still worthy. And 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 Norvell said he's still worthy. It's 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 interesting to see now when you win, you can you can pull anybody who, yeah. who you want. Um, where where these guys years ago, uh, when when Coach Norvell was just starting out, you know, he goes after these quality guys, and uh, they're like, well, I don't think your program's just ready yet. It seems like the program is ready now. And that's that's a, a huge triumph just over the course of three years of kind of blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, those fans um, three Fridays ago rushed the field for a reason. Um, and now we're seeing kind of the, the fruits of that later. Something that we talked about, Jack, to, to wrap up this Jaheim Bell discussion is we've analyzed year to year from 2020 to 2021 and now to, to 2022 in year three of Mike Norvell is what was this offense going to become at the end of the line? And we had assumed, right, it was that kind of shotgun spread running game that he had at Memphis. Mm -hmm. And we look at that the Memphis tape while Norvell was there and trying to find similarities to what we're doing. I mean, this is the first time really since Norvell's been here where you have a major playmaker at tight end. I mean, Cameron McDonald, I think, caught for about 300 yards and a crucial guy on third down, but I think he was hurt in preseason and he never played more than seemed like 10 snaps a game he, Jay, he wasn't someone that you'd be on he wasn't someone who was on the field and he would likely be forgotten like it's it's someone who is just there not to we're not trying to discredit him he was a quality player for the program um but this is this is next level stuff it seemed like every game had a cam mcdonald cameo where it's oh it's third and seven. Oh my gosh here's mcdonald caught on third down conversion then you'd never hear his name the rest of the game for bell a guy that I think could be on the field for the majority of the game, and the tight end room that he's joining, Preston Daniel and Marquiston Douglas, they're primarily run blockers. I mean, they, they were involved in the passing game later in the year, but most mostly to, to run block. And so I think Bell can block. He's a big body, obviously, 6'3", 230, but a guy that can line up on the line and play action, seem you know right through the the middle of the defense in a way that we haven't seen, and so I just wanted to to bring that up as as far as uh, this this offense as it continues to evolve. One more thing I'd like to add is that so uh, Jaheim Bell has abilities that kind of remind me, and this is going to be kind of a stretch, but uh, reminds me of Micah Pittman in that he'll be utilized in a, a plethora of different ways. He has that running ability. Again, you could put him just basically everywhere. There is a player that Florida State is still after, and that is uh, Shorter University's uh, tight end. He could be the next. Um, he has that ability that to change a room like Johnny Wilson. 
uh, to where he can just completely flip a weakness into a strength. And that's a lot of, again, Tatum Bethune had that same capability. Unfortunately, the name of that shorter kid, the short university kid, name is um, escaping me. But that kid could have the ability to flip room like um, the wide receiving room did and the linebacker room did. I wonder now that FSU has the Bell commitment secured if they will uh, go after that player as hard as they were before, uh, if they'll be able to convince him to, to compete in that that room, we'll see. Uh, but but Bell, a huge player. I mean, Norvell even even played with Lundy, who's a linebacker at fullback at on, on the offensive side of the ball this year. That that could be something for Bell. That that's a way that he's utilized. I mentioned he ran the ball 17 times in that big upset over Tennessee. He can do more than just catch the ball, and he was an All SEC player while he was there. A couple other players that the Knolls added in the transfer portal. Running back Kaziah Holmes from Penn State. He didn't play at all this past year. Uh, some injuries buried him in that in the depth chart for for Penn State uh, but he was the number five running back in the country at high school for the all-purpose category so uh, talk about a, a position room that's looking really good added to the running back room and also this past week announced taking a player from from South Beach Miami defensive lineman Daryl Jackson one of their best players on their team but certainly their defense six foot six 300 pounds started all 12 games for the Hurricanes last year, tallying uh, 27 tackles, four and a half of those were tackles for loss. He transferred to, to Miami from Maryland, so he's going to need a waiver uh, transferring here again. But there was word that uh, he was tending to some family issues near Tallahassee, so it's likely that he'll be able to, to get that waiver cleared and, and be immediately eligible. Uh, from Havana, Florida, high school teammate of Josh Farmer, but we talked about it, I think, last week. You, you beat Miami really bad in their house last year, and not only stealing some of their high school recruits potentially, but stealing one of their current best players that they had on their team. If you can't beat them, what do you do? You join them. You join them. Uh, he is a great tackler. Uh, PFF has him rated as like one of, the, one of the best tacklers on Miami's team last season. He has a lot of promise in stopping the run, and he has a lot of room to improve in his pass rush as um, – not the, the true objective of interior guys, but that's where he could shine. Uh, he w will be a decent piece immediately that can make some noise down the stretch, especially with guys like Fabian Lovett, who we don't know is going to stay or not. That interior remains a little bit of a question if that can be filled or not, and that's someone who could fill in potentially. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple of notes on Florida State football before we move on. The the recruiting the high school recruiting class for 2023, eight five eight four stars, excuse me, and one five star who is Hakeem Williams, the receiver. Hakeem, if he his commitment stays through, he's a player that could probably play right away as a true freshman. So 2023 and beyond is looking bright, not just with the transfers, but with the recruiting as well. By the halfway mark of the show, half past the seven o'clock hour. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk. Again, number to call the show, 850-644-1837. William, Jack, Sebastian, and Amanda, we charge on uh, to FSU men's basketball, they get their first conference win of the year. Uh, I think they're they're what two and nine on the season now with a 75-53 win over winless Louisville. They're now 0 and nine uh, on Saturday afternoon. And and myself and and Jackson, who's not on this week, we've talked a lot about basketball. And so the three that are in the room, I want to get your take on this because not a su successful team. They didn't have a good start to the season at all. But they got a over a 20-point conference win on Saturday, and they're playing better. So it th is a win. Win's a win. Uh, Louisville is garbage, and <laughs> that is an insult to garbage. <laughs> they lost by 25 to Maryland, lost by 27 to Miami, and now 22 to FSU. Uh, Florida State was able to get it done in the paint, which uh, 36 points through there, uh, which isn't – you don't expect that because Florida State doesn't have the biggest guys in the world, but Louisville has – even smaller guys. Uh, fr freshman Cameron Corrin shined again. He had 15 points. He was perfect from the line. Nahima Cloud finally made a difference defensively. Six blocks. Uh, that's probably a record of some sort that I can't pull up. But um, Caleb Mills also shot well. Williams' favorite player. 50% uh, with 16 points. Uh, Matthew Cleveland also in the double digits. Really flirting with double-double um, territory there. 12 points, 8 rebounds. And that was something that Coach uh, wanted to address is uh, when Cameron Fletcher went down. Like, by far their best rebounder, um, he spoke to the team and said, how are we going to make up for the lack of presence in the rebounding department? Cameron Fletcher was arguably their best two-way player who was not only getting the buckets, but also, you know, picking stuff off the glass. And Cleveland answered the call with, you know, a 12-8 game. I think they are trending in the right direction, Florida State as a whole. You know, you have three three games. They 
barely lost to uh, Purdue, let the game slip away towards the end, but it's the number one now number one ranked Purdue. Had a one possession game with Virginia. Who's now number two? Who's now number two. There's a lot to be, you know, you're two and nine. It's probably one of the better two and nine teams you've oh, probably no. ever seen. No, no, no. You are what your record says. Please don't, don't entertain this uh, like fallacy of we might, might, might be not be. I... That was 2021 Nebraska football where their fans were Scott Frost just coached the greatest three and nine team of all time yeah, because like, they played Ohio I, State I, close. I sim- I'll be honest with you. I simply do not care about stats that say well if you flipped the one possession games they're actually like seven and four. Like I, I don't you play care. the game. Yeah, uh, you are we what you do not re- care. <laughs> we do not care. Uh, you are what your record says. Um, you can if you can play close games close for thirty five minutes. Congratulations, it's a forty minute game. Um, wow. <clears throat> well, I will say that originally I thought this team was more of a four. Con- you know, they play twenty conference games. I thought they were only winning about four. Yeah, uh, we're we're not. Uh, Florida State isn't biblically bad. No. Which is kind of which is kind of comforting in now, a strange sense. Now they're maybe only a step off from last season. Now I could see that like six to eight wins in conference seems realistic. You can maybe like you can clearly fight with the Virginias of the world. I don't see why you couldn't fight with the Miamis, the UNCs, and whatnot. So like going even doesn't seem unreasonable. You have you still have the bulk of the schedule ahead of you. There's there's obviously the records like it was a horrible start and that you can never really amend that. That might be why things can't maybe be the best they were, but. I just They're want to see good. a six and twenty six auto bid. I would pay money to see that. <laughs> Winning the ACC, yeah, tournament. Yeah, it's, it's like I would dare the uh, NCAA to not put uh, uh, the ACC auto bid as a as a sixteen seed. Mm. Don't do it. I dare you. I think this team. I mean, you can't. It's hard to expect a lot. This is a very young team with, you know, like, there's like six or seven freshmen, three transfers. They're still trying to figure out how to play together especially when guys are going out with injuries and, you know, Baba didn't come in and play right away like we had hoped for. You got to be patient. It's hard. You know, a lot of Florida State people are saying you sacrifice basketball for ba- or for football. Excuse me. It is. It's frustrating to watch, but you really do have to be patient. These guys are still trying to figure everything out. Um, it is good to see them shine, you know, getting wins here and there, competing against tough teams, but – I do. I, the future is bright. There are a lot of guys that I see having big potentials, but don't necessarily think it's going to be this season. It's it's important for for Florida State men's basketball to get their first conference win of the year. Granted, Louisville they're zero and nine out of the three hundred and fifty odd Division One teams. Louisville might be one of the very worst. But even that being said, regardless of the competition, Florida State doing a lot of things that they haven't been doing this year. They shot 45% from the field. They were 7 of 19 from 3. They out-rebounded Louisville by a margin of 10. Jack told you they had 7 blocks of playing some better defense, plus 7 turnover margin, which is not something that they've done. You had Kayla Mills lead the team in scoring with 16. He was actually 50% from the field. And this is something we haven't brought up yet. We actually got to see the Green Viper squad yeah, green come team. into the game. <laughs> Can you name them? I cannot I name can. all of them. How many can you name? I, I have, name I have a couple. How many can you name from memory right now? Okay, we have R.J. Morris. Shout out, he's a South Florida guy. Um, we have Max Thorpe, Isaac Spainhauer, Mike Brown. How? What is? What was that four? That's four. Um, um, Cleveland Yates. Cleveland Yates. That's yeah. Damn, I love Cleveland. That's my brother. That's about all I got. Is there any more? We said Mike Brown. I mean, it might be the next guy. Might there was be probably seven guys that came into the game at the very end. Those of you that don't know, maybe the Green Vipers. It's the the players that are on the team. They dress out for games. Oh, but um, they're practice players. They don't. I start. think his name is Soul. He was a manager and he dressed out too. That was the story was... that I had heard about. But the the point is, anytime in a conference game, you can bring the Vipers in, all of them. I mean, it, like I said, they were. It was all of them coming in at once, all on the floor, at the same time. Uh, it was a good sight, and you look at the conference above, and I know Florida State is 2-9. and nine. They they may not be able to hang with a lot of these teams, but the ACC landscape is not necessarily what we thought. You have Miami at number 25, Virginia Tech at 24, Duke at 12, Virginia at 2, who it, you had a one-possession game against them in their house just two weeks ago. Only four teams in the conference ranked in the top 25. UNC fell off a table. They're not even ranked, and so you're one and one in conference play right now. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. One thing I want to ask about 
is Baba Miller because this roster right now, like Chandler Jackson and Deontay Green, both freshmen that were injured to start the year, they've been coming back. So the team doesn't look like it did on opening day when you lost to Stetson. They're slowly getting better, slowly getting more healthy. They've got, I think, five more games without Baba Miller, who uh, their top player, if you're not familiar, 6'11", forward, 200 pounds from Spain. He was one of the top U18 players in all of Spain. Uh, comes over to Florida State uh, to play overseas. Uh, how good do we think Baba Miller is, and, and how much of an impact do you think it will make when he comes back on the team and can actually play in games? I think there's just not a lot of players like him on this roster. He stands out a lot, and I think that his versatility is going to be a high point for FSU. Um, granted, we we're debating about this earlier. Is he practicing? You know, with his suspension, we're not sure all the rules and whatnot. If he has been practicing with the team, then he's not far behind. He's already been building up this chemistry with the guys in practice. It's just translating it on the floor. Um, he's a competitor. I know that. So I'm very. I don't think he's going to come and lead the team and you know get us get Florida State all these wins. But I do think he's going to make an impact very quickly. He has shown that. Um, there's a reason that. Florida State was so heavily recruiting him. Um, but it will be a breath of fresh air when he does finally return. He'll be coming back in the middle of ACC play, right? January like, 11th, that's my birthday. Hey. So he'll play the majority of the ACC, ACC. schedule. I, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see how quickly he gets up to game speed because we, we can talk yeah. about practice and shoot arounds all we want. Um, but what worries me is, um, you know, uh, people always talk about how at the highest level, like, the game is just brutally fast, and he hasn't played. But yeah. at you know the youth level in Spain, he doesn't know what D one college basketball is like. Well, yeah, he doesn't know what the ACC can be like. Right, and and yeah. we, I hate to toot um, a conference's horn like that, but it is the best conference in, in college basketball year in and year out for a reason. Um, it's fast, it's high placed, it's highly technical. Um, no doubt in my mind that he can't hang with with the rest of them. Um, but uh, how long it's going to take is really the question here. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully he gets uh, with the program, no pun intended, quickly, um, because it would it would be terrible to see him putting up uh, like great performances and stat lines um, when it doesn't really matter anymore, uh, right before the tournament. Miller's an interesting player, six eleven at eighteen years old. Obviously, he had a pretty quick growth uh, growth spurt come on, uh, excuse me, and so. He was, I think they were, at one point he was 6'3", and he was playing the guard position, so he learned to play that style of ball. And even when he when he grew to 6'11", he's still guarding those wings on the perimeter, and he's he's going under screens and doing things. For 6'11", I mean, this guy can move, so uh, they're looking for a player that, that can do those sorts of things. Naheem McLeod, certainly at, at you know their, their five position, I guess you could say. I mean, he's been obliterated by every decent big that they've played, Castleton, uh, that big for for Purdue, it seems like on a on a week by week basis, he's getting torched down low. Miller's a guy potentially that could help with that. We'll see, uh, and and he's a guy five five games left without him, and then he'll play the majority of the conference schedule. So uh, things aren't out of the running yet. They'll get South Carolina Upstate, who's an under five hundred team. They've gotten blown out by every uh, major Power Five school that they've played, and then this weekend uh, down in South Florida, you'll get St. John's, who. I think are ten and one or somewhere along those lines. They're not ranked, but they're they're a very good team out of the Big East Conference. That's a game that will be very tough to win, but it's a shorter trip for you than it will be for them. And uh, we'll we'll sit here next week and and, and see how that one went. Uh, but the other side of FSU basketball, the women's side, uh, another great start for them. They're ten and one. I, I saw in the broadcast uh, the last eight out of the last ten years they've started nine and one. So a tremendous tremendous run of success that they've been on. Uh, they beat Texas Southern in a huge way. I mean, this game was not even close. Looking for the score here. I mean, they scored uh, 108 to 51, tying their their season high in points. And uh, I want to throw it to you, Amanda. Obviously, you were on the telecast of the game doing the sideline reporting. But ACC Network's finest, might I add. Not just what you saw on the game, but in your preparation and everything for the game. I mean, talk about this, but also the team and, and how much success they're having right now. I mean... This team is no short of, you know, a highlight in Florida State Athletics right now. I still think they're, in the college basketball world, they are an underrated team, um, which could be to their advantage. A lot of people are sleeping on them. I think they are going to make an impact this year. Yeah, yesterday 
it honestly, I was, it was a little close at the beginning, which I wasn't really prepared for. I think that was the most amount, it was like maybe 34 points they gave up in the first half was like most, the most points they gave up maybe all season in the first half, which I was not really expecting from this Texas Southern team. But I mean, nothing but positive things to say about the women's basketball program. Head coach, Brooke Wyckoff, she's, she's amazing. She's great to work with. Um, She's obviously been around the program for a while. She played here, and then she's been coaching for however long, 10-plus years, I believe. Um, I think she fits into this head coaching position very well. She's very adamant on the players that she chooses. Um, There's a small roster. They've got, like, 10 girls on the entire roster, which is pretty small for, you know, a basketball team. So she's very particular about the girls she chooses and the girls that she wants to play. Uh, I mean, again, nothing but positive things to say. I'm so excited to watch this team continue, and they've got a couple hard – they got a – I mean, they play UConn coming up, which is going to be one of their biggest games of the season. Um, I just think people need to give more attention to this team, like Florida State fans all around. This team is – this team is special. I've got a feeling. Let's discuss that. I mean, Florida State, they're still not in the top 25, still not getting that recognition. You look at the ACC – Top heavy, Notre Dame at five, Virginia Tech at six, UNC at seven, NC State at eight. Uh, Nationally televised game on the main ESPN channel this Sunday afternoon in Connecticut against UConn, who's seven and two and number nine in the country. What are we thinking about the chances for Florida State to win, go up and win that game on the road? That is definitely, most definitely not out of the realm of possibility. Like, a win would... Not, I mean, a win would obviously solidify what they've done and, like, national, like, you know, prominence has now achieved in that sense. And they have the tools to do it. Tania Latson, uh, there's been five ACC Rookie of the Weeks, and she has all five of them. She's She uh, had a career high uh, against Texas Southern with 34. She has 11 blocks, 18 steals, 30 assists, uh, averaging five rebounds games, um, drawing a number of fouls, creates plenty of three-point play opportunities, uh, I've, I've said this to you guys, and I'm going to say here, she, her, she, <laughs> like she, she's the real deal. And, uh, it's gonna be really exciting to see. She's only a freshman too. So that's, she's going to be something, um, real special here, not just this year, but in years going forward. Uh, Michaela Timpson is probably a hugely improved sophomore. Um, she's become one of the best players on the team. She's almost averaging a double, double a game at 13.4 points and 9.6 rebounds. If you uh, if you want to, you know, play rounding, then yes, she is averaging a double-double. But she's the team leading rebounder. She has a terrific inside presence, highest field goal percentage as a result. And uh alongside her, finished senior Sarah Bajetti's also been a huge share of the rock, 30 assists. And they just have like a uh, just a small team, but um like Brooke Wyckoff, I said multiple teams like or multiple times, everybody on that roster can make a difference. And um, that's something that will finally get a true test against a, a very good UConn side. They still have to play Presbyterian this Thursday. Not trying to look ahead here, but that UConn game is going to be a real test. I personally can't get enough of how this team lays siege to the paint every um, through all four periods of the game. Mm-hmm. It is it is relentless. It's as soon as as soon as the um, <clears throat> as soon as the ball hits the top of the key, it, it, it's like all right. It's now we're now going to sprint to the basket. <clears throat> Every single time, it is it is really really exciting to see. It, it's it's fast. It's it's precise. It's it's a it's a great game to watch. Actually, I'm 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 very much enjoying watching just this team uh, lay into opponents like this. Just uh, like a, a physical fast um, version of the game that I, you don't see a lot of um, in at like higher levels where where shooting beyond the arc is is more important. Um, just seeing this kind of fast and straight to the point style is is very enjoyable for me. She's relentless. Tania Latson is really relentless is in the best way. This team yeah. was up however many points, and she's still going hard to the rack. The thing is with this team, Tania Latson, yes, she you could say carries the team, but th- the way she fits into the system, she can play her game, and the kind of team forms around that. But they're still successful individually. Like we had, Amaria Gordon had a career high last um, yesterday against Texas Southern. Like you have girls that are shining on their own, not just her. But she, is, I mean, and a freshman being the team leader is such a testament to her skill, testament to this program. I just nothing but positive things to say about this team, honestly. Five zero at home, Fort Doak. 
Or Fort, uh, I guess Fort Tuck. Tuck. Fort Tuck. Not Doak. Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. That's going to be the litmus test to end all lit- litmus tests for not just Latson but the rest of the team. Number eight, UConn, one of the the most storied, rich programs in college women's basketball. So uh, it's all really going to come down to that one, and we'll be here next week to talk about it. We got 10 minutes left on the show. Want to talk some World Cup? It's almost to an end. We've got, I think, four total games left basically this week, and so uh, it's come down here to the very end. The first thing I want to ask about, though, as it relates to Probably most people listening, Team USA. So they make it out of the group stage. They draw with Wales and England and then make it to the round of 16 only to lose 3-1 uh, to the Netherlands. So uh, give us an overview on, on Team USA. Is, was it a success? Was it a failure? Where do they go from here uh, in 2022? I think you could view uh, 2022 as a success given that, first off, you weren't even there four years ago, and that was... You know that was the uh, that was the pit that was the low point. Turn you know, on to, not only to get back, but also this is a far different team to, as to four years ago. This is a much younger team. They had the youngest squad uh, by average uh, age there uh, at the cup, and uh, as a result based, yes, they did what they normally do is, and that is they sneak in with a good second place finish, and then uh, ultimately dip in t- uh, in the round of sixteen. Uh, so by that metric, you say there's no progress, but this is, like I said, a much younger squad. This uh, this has Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, uh, Christian Roldan, like a lot of players who you wouldn't think uh, were going to make a difference. And it was this team had a lot of like uh, it was the biggest like uh, boomer bust team that this team could have crashed. They held their own defensively. They were incredibly really sound until that Netherlands game. They only gave up one goal. They gave, actually gave up no goals besides a penalty during the group play. And then their game against the Netherlands, uh, a lot of a lot of the Dutch goals were uh, mismarking at the back where a cross would come in and there was just there would just be a guy left open. And that was unfortunately a result of many goals and they would be placed beautifully. Uh, but I, I got to say, most very proud of this team and uh, you know putting themselves in a good position going forward in 2026 where they don't have to go very far. No planes will be necessary. Well, they will be necessary, but... Get to stay in the states. No passports necessary. No, no passports. No, no red eye. No red eye flights. Um, I'd like to bounce off what what Jack's saying here. And um, remember, five years ago, uh, straight up five years ago, uh, everybody told uh, um, U.S. soccer says like the window is twenty twenty six. Really, like they don't really have any expectations going into eighteen, especially after um, a disaster of a qualifying campaign. Um, but that's that's what we're built on uh, this season. This this year's World Cup is more of a teaser. It's kind of like y- y'all ain't seen nothing yet uh, where, where Jack's right. Where the the U- U.S. soccer has this crazy young core um, who's, who performed very well in um, qualifiers. But qualifiers aren't everything, as we learned with every single other CONCACAF team, uh, where they all flamed out, bombed out, just embarrassed at the group level. Um, I mean, just take a look at Canada, which ran the table... Canada um, was happy to be there, and Mexico couldn't score goals, save their lives, and Costa Rica did their best. Yeah. Uh, Costa Rica probably had the most admirable campaign out of uh, the three teams that did not advance. There was a brief window. I think it was only like three minutes. But there was this brief window where they are going to advance in a group with, with Spain and Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a wonderful three minutes it was until uh, snapped back to reality and the Germans scored another goal. But... Um, Still, the uh, if you had any expectations of semifinal glory or anything like that, you were probably you were probably jumping the gun a little bit if you're a fan of U.S. soccer. But um, we've seen a, a, b- a bunch of positive stuff on and off the pitch when it comes to this team. This team lo- the team looks good enough uh, to really be able to make a statement um, in four years' time. And remember, um, again, I say 2026 is the, starts the window, not not is the window. Uh, so you'll see a couple campaigns from this core. Um, Ultimately, uh, you sh- if you're a, a fan of U.S. soccer, you should be excited for the future. You should be satisfied, I think. This team was ranked 16th going into this tournament. And guess what? The, the, the knockout round starts at 16th. So your expectations have been met. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you can go out in, in the streets and flip cars and celebrate uh, like some of the teams who made it to the knockout stage can. But uh, you, you can be satisfied. I want to move on really quick to the semifinals because I know we're running out of time. Um, just because I'm, I'm, ex- I'm always excited for the semifinal campaign here in, in the World Cup, and uh, these semifinals are gonna—it's a banger, man! It, I am so excited because each, each team has a 
phenomenal storyline coming into this tournament. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, we can we can do the grand tour right now. I mean, uh, Argentina, um, like South America's last stand. Uh, now that uh, Brazil bound out to Croatia, more on that in a little bit. Um, for a very long time, for I would say uh, the past twelve years, it's always been the um, the Argentinians play in a way where they basically don't do they don't support Messi they say save us Messi and when he can't do everything by himself and he can't win a World Cup by himself which is a very big ask of anybody uh, they point to him and say you didn't do enough what did, what, what did you do and it's been a very rocky relationship between that organization and him particularly uh, just because of how hard they've ridden him and now that he's kind of at the end of the road where this is kind of it for him uh, he's one of the two biggest players that this is it for in this tournament um, and we'll we'll talk about that in a minute, Jack. As for yeah, uh, just speaking more on Messi there, it's it's last chance saloon here. Ronaldo had to Ronaldo said goodbye in the form of a loss to Morocco, Argentina. They snuck by on penalty against the Netherlands. Messi now probably has the chance to if they go on to win the cup, have, like you could have the genuine argument that he is the best player of all time because that's always been the thing that's eluded him. And no, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna go any further with you. I'm not gonna argue with oh, you God. on. Best player of all time. I, I'm not but gonna. I'm not gonna argue on that. I'm just. I'm thrilled to see, um, like an Argentina side that seems like they instead of them relying on that kind of save us messy attitude, they they play for him. They are. They're selling out. They're playing hard. It's like a like a nit and gritty um, hockey camp, like playoff hockey campaign where everybody's mm -hmm. all in. Like there are no questions on on how hard they'll fight for him this year, and I think it's actually very admirable. And they have uh, a lot of help, like Julian Alvarez, McAllister has been a yeah. huge surprise uh, in goal, and Emiliano Martinez has been great. Mm -hmm. uh, looking on their other side, uh, Croatia. So they are a weird one. Um, not a semifinal anymore. Not, not many teams get to the semifinals with only one win. They only had one win. They've drawn four games. They drew with Morocco, Belgium, had to go to penalties to beat Japan, had to go to penalties to beat Brazil. Only win was 4-1 against Canada. They are a very interesting side. They were a side that, you know, last year you said, wow, they went on a huge run to make the World Cup final. They've out, they've surpassed everyone's expectations. That was cute, uh, but you're probably going to move on, get older. And they said, screw you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to run it right back. And uh, they've defied the odds yet again and, like, have a huge, uh, you know, chance to really run it back and uh, play against uh, France in the World Cup final again. Uh, they have guys like Luka Modric. Um, who are like the lifeblood of Croatia? A master uh, of the midfield. He's master of the midfield. So good. Mm -hmm. So He's it's going to mortal essentially. Spurs great. Croatia and Argentina is going to be a critical match uh, for that. Argentinians get on the board because if Croatia uh, is going to make it tight and it's going to go to extra time, you got to give it to Croatia there, who's you know gone through thick and thin to get these results, and they could probably think pull it out again there. On the other side, you got France, Morocco. France have the ch chance to be the first repeat champions since Brazil of 1958 and 62. You got the you got Pele there Pele. for the comparison there. They have an, an once again incredible uh, squad there. Uh, Kylian Mbappe is you know supplying the goals and rarely demand. Guys like Olivier Giroud have been were even supposed to be on the squad, but still a huge presence there. And they're up against Morocco, first African side to reach the semifinals in the history of the cup. Uh, being here for them is dreamland. Anything more is heaven, whether it be uh, bowing out to France and winning the third place game. Um, they calling it calling it Dreamland is, I feel like that's, you, you're almost doing an injustice to Morocco is. because Morocco is the first African team to make it to this point in the tournament. Um, there's there's celebration up and down the continent um, about like that. This for 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 Africans, it's like a it's a triumph of the entire continent to get to this point. Mm -hmm. So it's very very inspiring to see. Um, people out in the streets, um, up and down Europe, and in and Morocco, the king of Morocco himself, going out in the streets and celebrating with everybody, um, amazing to see. I'm I'm very excited. Well, I, I I think the ask that we're asking of them to to beat France, is is too high, but I, I, to get to this point, I think is a triumph in and of itself. They they did. You said that about their Iber Iberian neighbors of Spain and Portugal, and they did just that. Yeah. So wouldn't be the most unreasonable thing. And then from there. You can get a very conventional matchup. Argentina-France wouldn't surprise anybody. You probably could have guessed that at the beginning of the tournament. But if any of those, uh, Croatia or France, or sorry, Croatia or Morocco, are able to be uh, surprised that upset, you're looking at a very um, historic World Cup. I, I think the only shock would be Morocco in the final. I think that's the only like surprise, because either Argentina and Croatia have, have merit, um, they have strength, um, where if they're, either of them are in the final, like it's a, it's a quality opponent for France. Mm -hmm. 
to put a bow on this, the final is Sunday at 10 a.m. on Fox, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Who wins it out of the four teams? Who takes it all? I got to think that France uh, has by far the best chance. They have the deepest squad. They have they don't um, they have a way to win games. Uh, in their last game against England, they were the lesser side. They weren't as good. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. The matters of the scoreline. They got two clutch goals at the right time. Were able to come out on top. I think. Uh, they have that luster and magic to get past Morocco. And as for Argentina, I think Messi magic going to continue onward and you're going to set up a conventional but still highly uh, exciting Argentina versus France final. And I got to think, I'm going to, this may be a little biased, but like I got to think Messi is the best player I've seen in, throughout my entire life. Uh, I think this is his moment. This is his chance. He can go out on top. This is probably the jinx that you know wrecks that. But why did you do that? <laughs> like, if if you want if you want shock, you're going with France. If you want the team of destiny, you're probably going with Argentina. Mm-hmm. Anything else would kind of be like Morocco would just be the only surprise, really. Let's let's be frank uh, to to see in the final. But apart from that, it's all bets off on Sunday. Croatia would be the first European or Eastern European team to ever win any World Cup. That, would that be, as well. Yeah, it's been another great installment of the World Cup, and also. Another great installment of Tomahawk Talk. 8 o'clock has arrived, so that means that new release is next. So that ends it here next week. At this time, Tomahawk Talk will take place Monday at 7 o'clock. We'll we'll preview Florida State uh, game against Oklahoma. We'll probably get someone from Oklahoma uh, to call in and preview that one, probably preview the college football playoff, maybe some Major League Baseball free agency hot stove as well. So make sure to join us next week for that one. But until then... I've been William Haynes, Jack Oliaro, Sebastian Angel Riano, Amanda Golson, signing off here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.